0: This is the Bible Book Club, and we're in Deuteronomy. Welcome to the
1: club. In chapters 24 through 26, Moses wrapped up the Just Do It sermon, and he expanded the concept of treating others fairly, including things like fair wages, fair treatment of criminals, foreigners, orphans, widows, and even the fair treatment of animals. He also set up some rules about the loverite marriage and cheating others in business. Yeah, we covered a lot of rules.
0: Okay. In the last episode, like Heather said, chapter 26 was the end of the second sermon for the Israelites to just do it. In other words, do everything God commands. Now, remember, we have three speeches in Deuteronomy, and all three speeches contain Moses' final words to encourage the next generation of Israel to be faithful to their God, unlike their parents who wandered in the wilderness for their unfaithfulness. Now, the chapters we just completed, twelve through twenty-six, are a collection of laws. Remember, most of those laws occurred at Mount Sinai. Many of the laws are strange for us. Just remember that. Don't get upset about the curses and stuff you're going to hear about this one, because again, this was these were laws and curses that applied to um, a time when things were happening that Israel could not partake of because yeah, it was. It's weird to us, right. but it made total sense to them. Yes. And if I had all day to go into the history of the cultures living around them, they were sick, like they were sick cultures. And so a lot of the commentators spent a lot of time talking about, you know, just just how dark it was and how God needed to really rip them out of that culture of like sex fertility practices and all these different things and like really strict laws so that they wouldn't get tempted to do that stuff okay those 12 through 26 chapters were what to do and Moses said just do it and now we have this transition that the Israelites are going to make into what how Moses wants them to do this covenant renewal so they they've heard what Moses wants them to do and now he's going to give them instructions okay okay guys when you get into the promised land choose God Choose God. Start over and choose God. Moses is going to ask this new generation of Israel to make a choice between obedience or rebellion, between blessings or curses, between the harsh reality of abundance in the promised land versus devastation and exile. There is going to be a stark contrast to the results of their choice and the result would be life or death, but the choice was theirs and they needed to make it. So let me set the scene for the covenant renewal ceremony in the promised land that Moses wants them to have. The purpose of the covenant renewal was for the people to make a public national commitment to God and to the terms of the covenant. Every single person was to participate. Which also made the renewal a personal public commitment. The place for covenant renewal was across the Jordan River in the valley of Shechem, centrally located in the promised land. So remember, they're gonna, Moses is gonna die, they're gonna cross the Jordan River, and then they are to have this big ceremony. The valley is formed by twin mountains that rise about a thousand feet on either side of this valley. That's why I called this valley the Valley of Hope. At the place where the mountains, Ebal and Gerizim, come together, there is a natural amphitheater with excellent acoustics. And you can Google. It's, it's really pretty because there's like this plain And then these sloping mountains on either side, there is across the river of Jordan, there's like a ridge of mountains. And apparently in this ridge, there's Ebal and Gerizim. And then there's this valley in between it. It forms this like perfect slope on either side. It was the perfect divinely created place for the nation to gather, a place chosen by God because we know that Moses had never set foot in the promised land and could not have chosen the location. Both mountains will play a role in the ceremony, but on Mount Ebal they are to build an altar.
1: Chapter 27 gives us the instructions. For the altar on Mount Ebal. Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people keep all these commands that I give you today. When you have crossed the Jordan into the land the Lord your God is giving you, set up some large stones and coat them with plaster. Write on them all the words of this law. When you have crossed over to enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. And when you have crossed the Jordan, set up these stones on Mount Ebal, as I commanded you today, and coat them with plaster. Build there an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. Do not use any iron tool on them. Build the altar of the Lord your God with field stones and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. Sacrifice fellowship offerings there eating them and rejoicing in the presence of the Lord your God. And you shall write very clearly all the words of this law on the stones you have set up. So we've talked about this before. God always
0: wanted them to use natural stones. He didn't want them to have any kind of tools or anything man-made involved. For the first time in Deuteronomy, Moses calls the elders to step up and lead with them. Now they've been around. Remember, they were on Mount Sinai with him. Moses and the elders instruct people to create two visuals That will remind this generation and generations to come of their covenant with God. Because remember, this location is central to all of Israel. First, large plaster covered stones with the words of the law written on them. We don't know if this was the Ten Commandments or the Ten Commandments in the book of the covenant or the Ten Commandments and everything said in Deuteronomy, but it said all of the law. It may have just been, you know, the main parameters. Second, they were to build an altar to the Lord. Moses built a similar altar when the covenant was first confirmed at Mount Sinai in Exodus 24. So he's recreating that whole experience. On the covenant renewal altar, they were to offer burnt offerings to atone for sin for God. And these would be for God. They're totally burned up. Nobody gets to eat them. Fellowship offerings to recognize the relationship between God and the people and all of the people partake in eating those. In other words, love for God, the first offering, and love your neighbors was the theme of the worship in this covenant renewal. Both the altar and the stones were to be placed together on Mount Ebal, so they would see them together. Strategically located at the center of the land, they were a memorial that would have a double meaning for the Israelites. Because
1: way back in Genesis 12, Abraham was called by God. And check this out. Genesis 12, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord told him, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Shechem, the promise to Abraham, to Israel. It all
0: began here at Shechem. The first time that God ever gave this promise to Abraham, he went to Shechem. The promise given in 2090 BC to Abraham at Shechem is finally coming true. In 1406 BC, 684 years later at the same place, Shechem, that little valley of hope. And at the time, Abraham built an altar and now his descendants, the Israelites, would build an altar. For the Israelites, this was the fulfillment of 600 years of hope. They were the chosen generation to be the first to live in the promised land. And Mount Ebal, with the stones and the altar, would be a memorial, a symbol of covenant renewal that God keeps his promises. All right, here are the instructions for the covenant renewal ceremony. The people are to gather overlooking the valley. So think of that amphitheater, that natural amphitheater, the people could just... All those million, a million on one side, a million on the other, (laughs) lining up. Half of the tribes are to stand on one mountain and half on the other. The tribes on Mount Gerizim were to echo the blessings. So Mount Gerizim is the blessing mountain. These tribes were Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. Now we know Joseph is not a tribe, so let me get there. These are the sons of Jacob's legit wives, Leah and Rachel. Remember, he had legit mm-hmm. wives and he had concubine wives. Note, that is why it lists Joseph rather than Ephraim and Manasseh. Joseph, the father, rather than the two sons who got the half tribe. Exactly. Exactly. In past seasons, we learned that Joseph received the double inheritance that Reuben lost and Joseph's two sons become two tribes. Now, remember, Reuben lost it because he um, he slept with his wife. His, his, uh, His father's wife. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The tribes among Ebal were to echo the curses. Those tribes were Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. Four of these tribes were born from the maids of Leah and Rachel, Bilhah and Zilpah. Reuben is forever in the doghouse, like I said, for sleeping with one of his father's wives, Bilhah. A sin we just discussed an episode ago. And Zebulun, the youngest son of Leah, not sure why he was included in this group. So I just can't even tell you why. The reading and repetition or echoing of the blessing and curses back and forth from mountain to mountain was a dramatic and effective way for the people to make a public commitment to the covenant that they would never forget. A covenant that promised hope in the valley between blessings and curses. If they would keep the covenant and choose God, there was hope that they would live in the blessing of the promised land forever. Now, note a fun fact about these two mountains that I, I loved. The altar for the atonement of sin was placed on Mount Ebal because it was the mountain of curses. Remember, we break laws and we are cursed, and therefore we have to atone for it. At least they did back then. We don't have to because Jesus atoned for us. Now, the altar and Mount Ebal represented those who recognized their sin and need for atonement to avoid being cursed. That was all the Israelites. Like they recognized we sinned, we got to atone for it. So they were kind of all thinking they belonged on Mount Ebal. That's why the altar is there. and. And um, it's important to them. Well, a thousand years later, the Samaritans, who were an outcast religious sect, built their altar on Mount Gerizim, the mountain of blessings. And the Samaritans were known to be self-righteous. In other words, perhaps they chose this mountain thinking that they well deserved the blessings. So they audaciously built Their altar on the other mountain. Well, when Jesus confronted the Samaritan woman at the well in the Valley of Hope
1: near Shechem, John 4, verse 19, she said, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Okay, I'm not going to read the whole story, but picture this. When she said
0: our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, she probably pointed to the mountain of Gerizim because she's standing in Shechem. She would have been pointing to Mount Gerizim. And Jesus responds by pointing her To himself, because he is the hope of the New Testament. It was Jesus that she should worship. No longer should the Samaritans worship on Mount Gerizim, and no longer should the Jews worship on Mount Ebal. It's Jesus they should worship, because he is the only way that they can atone for their sins. That is powerful. All right, so let's read the curses
1: that they were to repeat From Mount Ebal. Then Moses and the Levitical priests said to all Israel Be silent, Israel, and listen. You have now become the people of the Lord your God. Obey the Lord your God and follow his commands and decrees that I give you today. On the same day, Moses commanded the people When you have crossed the Jordan, these tribes shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph and Benjamin, and these tribes shall stand on Mount Ebal to pronounce the curses. Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. The Levites shall recite to all the people of Israel in a loud voice, Cursed is anyone who makes an idol, a thing detestable to the Lord, the work of skilled hands, and sets it up in secret. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is anyone who dishonors their father or mother. And then all the people shall say, "'Amen.'" Cursed is anyone who moves their neighbor's boundary stone. Then all the people shall say, "'Amen.'" Cursed is anyone who leads the blind astray on the road. Then all the people shall say, "'Amen.'" Cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. Then all the people shall say, "'Amen.'" "'Cursed is anyone who sleeps with his father's wife, "'for he dishonors his father's bed. "'Then all the people shall say, amen. "'Cursed is anyone who has sexual relations with an animal. "'Then all the people shall say, amen. "'Cursed is anyone who sleeps with his sister, "'the daughter of his father or the daughter of his mother.'" Then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is anyone who sleeps with his mother-in-law. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is anyone who kills their neighbor secretly. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is anyone who accepts a bribe to kill an innocent person. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is anyone who does not uphold the words of this law by carrying them out, Then all the people shall say, Amen. No surprises here. Each of these curses corresponds to the breaking
0: of commandments or laws that we've covered in other episodes. Now, one curious thing to note is that Moses only lists the curses that they repeat and not the blessings. We don't know why. But moving on to chapter 28, he's going to go more into the blessings and curses. These aren't the ones that they repeat necessarily. He's just going to get, he's laying it out to them. This is what's going to happen If you do obey and if you don't obey. Now, here's a word about blessing and curses. Genesis and Deuteronomy bookend the Torah. And the theme of blessings and curses appears more in these two books than anywhere else in the Torah or the Bible. So look for the theme there from Genesis to Deuteronomy. In Genesis and in Deuteronomy, God's blessing is an invitation to be fruitful and multiply starting in the garden, and when that's no longer possible because they get kicked out, continuing in the promised land, which is where we are now. A curse is the opposite of a blessing. It is not a vindictive punishment from God. When people choose to reject the blessing of life, as they did in the garden, they automatically choose death. They trade God's blessing, his creation of order and abundance, for curses or chaos That sin brought into the world at the fall. When people make choices that separate them from God, the source of life, it puts them at risk for death and destruction. At Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, God is reminding the Israelites that they have a choice between the two mountains. Obey and you get a taste of what you lost in the garden. You get the promised land flowing with milk and honey. Disobey. And you get further alienation from the garden. You're moving away from the promise. You get destruction in a foreign land. In the next section, Moses is going to cover the covenantal blessings for obedience and the curses for disobedience. The curses far outweigh the blessings. One gets the feeling that based on his experience with the Israelites, Moses was far more concerned about their potential to disobey. And he was hoping that they would be motivated by the threat of the curses. Chapter 28 starts with the blessings.
1: If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord, your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. Okay, these first verses, verses one through six are the opposite of the first
0: verses of curses that we're going to read in in just a few minutes after
1: Heather finishes the blessings verse seven, the Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction, but flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord, your God will bless you in the land he is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people, as he promised you on oath. If you keep the commands of the Lord, your God and walk in obedience to him, then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord. And they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, and the crops of your ground, in the land He swore to your ancestors to give you. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of His bounty, to send rain on your land in season and bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord, your God, that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. Do not turn aside from any of these commands I give you today, to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. Blessings hinge on one thing and one thing only.
0: And Moses makes it very clear at the beginning. If you obey and carefully follow the commands and he reiterates it at the end Pay attention to the commands and carefully follow them. There's that word shamir, the Hebrew word for careful that we've discussed before, which is better interpreted as put a hedge of thorns around it and protect it with your life. Next, the curses for disobedience. Moses describes what will
1: happen if they do not obey or carefully follow God's commands. Verse 15. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I'm giving you today... All these curses will come on you and overtake you. You will be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed. The fruit of your womb will be cursed and the crops of your land, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. You will be cursed when you come in and cursed when you go out. So these first six verses are the opposite of the first verses of blessings
0: in the previous section, like I said. But in the next group, the curses become unbearable and tragically prophetic. In fact, there is nothing as vividly disturbing anywhere else in the Bible. Israel did not do what the Lord commanded, and the results are documented by the prophets throughout the Old Testament. In these curses, God is going to tell them what's going to happen. The result could be disease, drought, defeat, deprivation, and deportation. As Heather reads, I will insert a couple of verses from some of the prophets of the Old Testament that tell us what actually did
1: happen to Israel because they did not carefully obey the commands. Verse 20. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and rebuke in everything you put your hand to until you are destroyed and come to sudden ruin because of the evil you have done in forsaking him. The Lord will plague you with diseases until he destroyed you from the land you are entering to possess. The Lord will strike you with a wasting disease, with fever and inflammation, with scorching heat and drought, with blight and mildew, which will plague you until you perish. The sky over your head will be bronze, the ground beneath you iron. The Lord will turn the rain of your country into dust and powder. It will come down from the skies until you are destroyed. The prophet Amos tells us in chapter 4, verse 10, I sent plagues among
0: you as I did to Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword, along with your captured horses." Says, I filled your nostrils with the stench of your camps yet you have not
1: returned to me, declares the Lord. Verse 25, The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You will come at them from one direction, but flee from them in seven, and you will become a thing of horror to all the kingdoms on earth. Your carcasses will be food for all the birds and the wild animals, and there will be no one to frighten them away. The Lord will afflict you with boils of Egypt, with tumors, festering sores, and the itch from which you cannot be cured. The Lord will afflict you with madness, blindness, and confusion. Fusion of mind. At midday, you will grope about like a blind person in the dark. You will be unsuccessful in everything you do. Day after day, you will be oppressed and robbed with no one to rescue you. You will be pledged to be married to a woman, but another will take her and rape her. You will build a house, but you will not live in it. You will plant a vineyard, but you will not even begin to enjoy its fruit. Your ox will be slaughtered before your eyes, but you will eat none of it. Your donkey will be forcibly taken from you and will not be returned. Your sheep will be given to your enemies and no one will rescue them. Your sons and daughters will be given to another nation and you will wear out your eyes, watching for them day after day, power. To lift a hand. A people that you do not know will eat what your land and labor produce, and you will have nothing but cruel oppression in all your days. The sights you will see will drive you mad. The Lord will afflict your knees and legs with painful boils that cannot be cured, spreading from the soles of your feet to the top of your head. The Lord will drive you and the king you set over you to a nation unknown to you or your ancestors. There you will worship other gods, gods of wooden stone. You will become a thing of horror, a byword, and an object of ridicule among all the peoples where the Lord will drive you. Micah backs this up, the prophet Micah in
0: 616. He says, You have observed the statues of Omri, who was a bad king, and all the practices of Ahab's house. You have followed their traditions. Therefore I will give you over to ruin and your people to derision. You will bear the scorn of the nations.
1: Verse 38, "'You will sow much seed in the field, "'but you will harvest little, "'because locusts will devour it. "'You will plant vineyards and cultivate them, "'but you will not drink the wine or gather the grapes, "'because worms will eat them. "'You will have olive oil trees throughout your country, "'but you will not use the oil "'because the olives will drop off.' You will have sons and daughters, but you will not keep them because they will go into captivity. Swarms of locusts will take over all your trees and the crops of your land. The foreigners who reside among you will rise above you higher and higher, but you will sink lower and lower. They will lend to you, but you will not lend to them. They will be the head, but you will be the tail." All these curses will come on you. They will pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed. Because you did not obey the Lord your God and observe the commands and decrees he gave you. They will be a sign and a wonder to you and your descendants forever. Because you did not serve the Lord your God joyfully and gladly in the time of prosperity. Therefore, in hunger and thirst, in nakedness and dire poverty, you will serve the enemies the Lord sends against you. He will put an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. The Lord Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the ends of the earth, like an eagle swooping down. A nation whose language you will not understand. A fierce-looking nation, without respect for the old or pity for the young. They will devour the young of your livestock and the crops of your land until you are destroyed. They will leave you no grain new wine or olive oil, nor any calves of your herds or lambs of your flocks until you are ruined. They will lay siege to all the cities throughout your land until the high fortified walls in which you trust fall down. They will besiege all the cities throughout the land the Lord your God is giving you. Because of the suffering your enemy will inflict on you during the siege, you will eat the fruit of the womb. The flesh of the sons and daughters the Lord your God has given you. Even the most gentle and sensitive man among you will have no compassion on his own brother and wife he loves or his surviving children. And he will not give to one of them any of the flesh of his children that he is eating. It will be all he has left because of the suffering your enemy will inflict on you during the siege of all your cities. The most gentle and sensitive woman among you, so sensitive and gentle that she would not venture to touch the ground with the sole of her foot, will begrudge the husband she loves and her own son or daughter, the afterbirth of her womb and the children she bears. For in her dire need, she intends to eat them secretly because of the suffering your enemy will inflict on you during the siege of your cities. Okay, if you were tripping over that last paragraph like I was... Apparently,
0: what Moses is saying is that they will be um, defeated so greatly that they will be starving and will resort to cannibalism and the situation will become so bad that they're even, you know, like hiding the afterbirth to eat it. It sounds terrible.
1: This is very... um, Graphic. Well, it's very graphic, but it's also very discouraging. Yeah. But I think... Moses is probably trying to he's really paying. drive home the point that it's going to be really, really bad if they don't do yeah. all the things that he says. He's, he's painting a really, really depraved picture of how low they could sink if they lose the Lord. All right, verse 58. If you do not carefully follow all the words of his law, which are written in this book, and do not revere... His glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, the Lord will send fearful plagues on you and your descendants, harsh and prolonged disasters and severe and lingering illnesses. He will bring on you all the diseases of Egypt that you dreaded, and they will cling to you. The Lord will also bring on you every kind of sickness and disaster not recorded in this book of the law until you are destroyed." You, who were as numerous as the stars in the sky, will be left but few in number, because you did not obey the Lord your God. Just as it pleased the Lord to make you prosper and increase in number, so will it please him to ruin and destroy you. You will be uprooted from the land you are entering to possess.
0: Well, I don't know if they ever resulted in cannibalism, but we do know from Daniel and Chapter 9, verse 10, this, it says, We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing us great disaster. Under the whole of heaven, nothing has ever been done. Like what has been done to Jerusalem.
1: Verse 64. Then the Lord will scatter you among all nations, from one end of the earth to the other. There you will worship other gods, gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your ancestors have known. Among those nations you will find no repose, no resting place for the sole of your foot. There the Lord will give you an anxious mind, eyes weary with longing, and a despairing heart. You will live in constant suspense, filled with dread both night and day never sure of your life. In the morning, you will say, if only it were evening. And in the evening, if only it were morning, because of the terror that will fill your hearts and the sights that your eyes will see, the Lord will send you back in ships to Egypt on a journey I said you should never make again. There you will offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you.
0: Kind of returning to Egypt there. Well, Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament and actually the last prophet in the Old Testament. He tells the story of the Israelites' disobedience and their audacity to argue with God about it. And they accused, the the Israelites even went so far as to accuse God of being the problem, not themselves. Well, God had grown weary of the Israelites' words by this time in Malachi, and he was not going to argue. In fact, he refuses to speak at all. So the last chapter of the entire Old Testament is very
1: short. This is Malachi 4. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. So, in the last book of the Old
0: Testament and the last chapter, the last prophet acknowledges just that all these things, terrible things, have happened. But he leaves us with this hope. God leaves them with a promise that he's going to send them this prophet, Elijah. And then there was silence, not another word from God for 400 years after Malachi, which is so odd because for 400 years, the Israelites had waited for a word from God in Egypt. The waiting that Moses had put an end to had begun again because the Israelites just didn't listen.
1: Well, and think about that 400 years because gosh, if God's told me to do something and it takes four days to happen, I get a little bit discouraged. Yeah, And so after four days, after 40 days, maybe after four months, they would start to get discouraged. This is 400 years. years,
0: generations. And yet the last word they had from Malachi was still a promise. And therefore there was hope in the valley between blessings and curses. There is always hope.